0: Good morning uh, on this great sunshiny day. Uh, uh, this is our second year here and snow cold both, both times. times. Yeah. So what am I saying? It's us. Blame us. Uh, uh, we brought it from Atlanta uh, with us uh, where it was a, a freezing 65 degrees when we left. So
1: um,
0: Anyway, we're so grateful to God to, to be here. Uh, thank you, pastors, for having us back again. Thank you all for opening your hearts. Uh, We do want to be sensitive to the time. I know we did four hours yesterday. We're going to try to keep it right at three this morning. So um, get you guys out of here before it snows again tonight. Um, But let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. We humble ourselves before you and before these, your precious people. Bless this man and woman of God, this great vision, this great house. And Father, I thank you that you perfect everything that concerns this vision and these visionaries. Father, minister now to us by your spirit, the great teacher. One message will go forth, but it'll be heard a thousand different ways, customized by the Holy Ghost. You dwell in us, Lord, by your spirit, but you dwell among us whenever two or three gather together. We acknowledge your presence among us today to touch, heal, deliver, set free, make whole whatever's wrong. You have liberty to make it right. You are the healer and the restorer. Open our eyes, open our ears that we may see and hear good seed is getting ready to be released but seed is not our goal a harvest is our goal i declare and i thank you lord that there will be production from the fruit uh, of the word of god coming into our hearts and manifesting in our lives your blessing be upon your people no weapon formed against this time shall prosper only the holy ghost has liberty only the angels are welcome i bind every satanic and demonic force you keep your mouth shut you will not steal no distraction or confusion nor sleep nor slumber nor pain nor discomfort will steal the Word of God this morning. And Lord, I pray for everyone serving out front and behind the scenes. They serve in the fruit of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord, and in excellence is unto you. And I thank you that generations are impacted this yes. day. And it's by your grace and for your glory, Lord, we give you praise. We give you honor. We bless your holy name in the midst of your congregation. We declare this so now in Jesus' name. And all that think those words should come to pass, shout amen. amen. Come on, let's lift up a great shout this morning, a great Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Thank Hallelujah. God. All right, you may be seated this morning, and if you have your Bibles, let's open them to the book of John, uh, the 14th chapter. John, the 14th chapter. I'm uh, joined here by my wife and my bestie and my preaching buddy, and I'm so grateful because I actually did get kind of a little uh torn up there as Pastor was talking when he mentioned the BFG. So that's yeah, our, our two little sure. ones. That's uh, Mikey and Olivia and Connie and I. We, we formed the group. It's our gang, you know, the <laughs> best friends gang. And uh, But we do everything together. We are a team, and uh, it's, uh, we're missing them today. This is We're usually not apart uh, for very long, but we were out earlier this week and then um, out again. You know, we come home tonight, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, man, I'm missing those two little kids. And as soon as he mentioned them, I'm my eyes got all swollen up and uh, started, my eyes started sweating. You ever have that happen where your eyes sweat, you know, just uh, could be the pollen, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> with the snow. In
1: the with pollen. the snow and the pollen.
0: You know how that is. John, John 14, uh, those of you watching online, we're so grateful to God that you're here. You're probably uh, piled up in snow. You wanted to get here, uh, but uh, you're, you're at uh, Bedside Baptist this morning. We're so grateful for you. Uh, welcome in that you're tuning in with us this morning. And uh, I believe God is going to minister to you. Uh, so, you know, kind of calm the house, still the house, get around that laptop or whatever you're doing, and say, Father, even where we are, speak to us yes. uh, and, uh, and minister to us. Okay, so John 14, um, we're, we're, we've got a, about four sessions worth of stuff to give you, and it's just going to come at you quickly. So grab what you can grab and then get a CD or DVD or MP3 or whatever they have afterwards. Um, Let me start here. Um, Sometimes the answer you're looking for is in the three words, these three words, for the children, for the children. Sometimes we act like there are complex dilemmas that we face that are really not that complex if you're making the decisions for the children. There's enough pain in this world already, enough isolation. We're more connected and, and farther apart than we've ever been. We have more, quote, unquote, friends, but less true relationships than we've ever had. And some of you here or watching this, but I believe here this morning as well, have been tossing around divorce in your mind. And the reason you're going to stay is for the children. Amen, amen. So we say, well, what about me? See, that's the problem. <laughs> I'm so glad the Lord on the cross didn't say, Well, what about me?
1: Oh,
0: thank you, Lord. And uh, I've had some dark times in my life. I was standing on a building on a, on a balcony preaching in um, uh, South Florida, and they gave me this glorious hotel room uh, overlooking the ocean, and I stepped out on this balcony in the wind, and, and I remember just leaning over the balcony, and this voice as clear as day said, I wonder what it'd be like to fly off this balcony. And, um, I, you know, you realize if the Lord, if, if Satan would dare nudge Jesus in his back with that same thought, who are you to not think he would just, just throw that out as an idea? And the fact that I paused and entertained, like, man, I wonder what that would be like. And then I caught myself, like, what in the world is that? It's the same spirit that would come, you know, against the Lord. Now, I say that to say, there are many times I've thought about giving up in life. Many times I've thought about giving up in marriage. Hurt that you can't stuff, stuffing in fast enough to just you feel like you're bleeding out. And there was more than one time that I got off the floor of my sorrow simply because I didn't want my son to have unnecessary pain.
1: Now, I'm ultimately
0: married to Connie for Connie. But there have been times where the storms of life were blowing us so, so violently Then I looked at her in the eye, and she looked at me in the eye, and I thought, maybe we could get out of this pain if we just let go. But the problem is, us escaping our pain, the pain gets transferred somewhere. And now two little people without pain. We just roll it over on them. So what did you do for the children? I held on long enough for the children till the storm stilled and I got my clarity back and I was reminded of why I'm in this relationship and why I love this woman and why the sun rises and sets with her because I understand life is, seasons is fickle and sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down and sometimes you love your job and sometimes you hate your job and sometimes you love your house and sometimes you hate your house and sometimes you, you, you love your <coughs> career, you love your city and sometimes you just want to get out and all this. But But the problem is when you start making long-term pain decisions based on temporary, seasonal emotions. And Somewhere, I knew one day my son would be laying on a pillow next to some young lady he'd just made love to, and they'd be laying there in their 20s, you know, just enjoying all that beauty of young love and marriage and all this other kind of stuff. And I knew in that silence that he would whisper to a a lady, about the pain in his heart that came when his parents sat him down and all that overcompensation what it takes to love a man that's been through that what it takes to love a woman that's been through that i decided that because of the holy spirit in me there were things i was equipped to endure to walk through and to hold out for the sun to shine again, that it didn't need to roll over. A 10-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 7-year-old, 14-year-old, they don't need to try to figure out the adult world. Life in childhood is so short and so precious and so quick, it should be preserved and protected with everything you have. And again, I'm not talking about abuse. You know I'm not talking about your husband greeting you with a baseball bat, and he, well, he said to stay. I'm not staying. that. You leave, and some of the deacons and I will come over and, And uh, we'll bring the Mickey Mantle anointing, and we'll visit your husband and get him delivered. And and, uh, it's amazing. He doesn't have restraint when it comes to you. I bet four or five brothers and I come over there, he'll have instant restraint. Um. (laughs) And I'm not talking about a man or a woman abusing your children. I'm not talking about touching your babies or something like that. You you, you get out of there, and you do what you got to do to protect those children. But so many things we think are complex are not complex when the answer is for the children. And, my God, it's these damaged childhoods. It's parents that didn't know how to protect the beauty of childhood. That's where you and I, uh, you know, my mom just passed this past, uh, uh, just in December, just just 60 days ago. And uh, I'll never forget, uh, I think I told the story last time. I was in a business meeting, and my daughter came running through the business meeting and flipping over a couch and jumping and cartwheeling and all this kind of stuff. And I just yelled, I said, hey, stop it, get out of here. And I, She must have been four or five, whatever it was. Get out of here, stop it, go to your room, blah, 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 blah. And my mom looked at me and said, leave her alone. And I said, leave her alone? I said, Are you kidding me? If I had done that when I was four, you know what you would have done to me, you know? Back before there was timeout, when it was only knockout, you know what I'm saying, back then? I, uh, you know, and she said, yeah, yeah, I probably would have yelled at you and I probably would have smacked you, and I'd have been wrong. She said, because I was young, I was unmarried, unsaved, no help, living for the world, stressed out, And I didn't know where to take my pain and my frustration, so it boiled down and rolled over to the least place of resistance. The one person, life was giving me drama, your birth father was giving me drama, work was giving me drama, my landlord was giving me drama, my friend was giving me drama, and the one place in my life I knew couldn't push back was you. And she said, so I leaked my adult world down on your little world. And she said, please let my hindsight become your foresight and protect the, the childhood and the innocence of these children as long as you can. And my mom, all the way up till the time she passed, protected and invested in childhood, in the childhood of my children and many other children. She started the thing in her 60s. She called it Gmail. It was a, a, something Grandma in Love. She found all these people in our church with no grandmother. And said, would it be okay if on the birthdays and on Christmases and whatever I just loaded up your kids? Because everybody needs a grandma just to somebody, you know, something like that. And, and this was because you get along far enough and you realize that most of your adult damage that you're walking out is echoes and ripples from childhood stuff. And I don't want you in here to hear, well, I don't have any children. A, most of us were children at one time, uh, uh, most of us. B, um, it takes you in this church, in this community. Providing love and care and nourishment. I mean, aunts and uncles and good friends and, you know, you have people that just invest in your children. And, and, and as a parent, I'm telling you, having that partnership, having somebody else that cares about your children and, 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 and thinks wonderful things of your children, and, and that's what a grandparent does or an aunt is. They're supposed, to be the, they're supposed to be the neutral. All I know of you is that I think you walk on water. And children need that somebody that believes in them and sees their wonder no matter what. I didn't have that when I was a child, but you can get it now. What I'm putting out to you is a vision of what it could be. And as Pastor was talking over there, I realized you're so right. We, we should be the ones raising and bringing up these whole children, these beautiful families and visions, and instead we're scared. You know, what? one of my biggest regrets is not having more children. Um, we have two, and man, I just, I was busy, and doing all this other stuff, and we had a church, and we had this, we had that, and, and uh, yeah, man, I just, uh, man, if I could go back, first of all, I didn't meet Connie till I was 27, we didn't get hitched, until I was 28, uh, and I know, you know, as a, as a man, I took on the responsibility for birth control and all that other kind of stuff, what, 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 I was injecting her with chemicals and all that kind of stuff, I, man, I wouldn't want to do that, and so whatever it was, it became on my responsibility, and so I did whatever I had to do and to serve her, and what she did with having children, what it did to her body. And and not only not only not only afterwards, but during, you know, I mean shoe size changed and all this other kind of stuff and, and bless her heart, what I saw her go through. Having those babies and being, and I was one of those modern dads and all that stuff and happening and this and that. And I'll never forget seeing my daughter's little head coming out and the little bitty head came out. and I said, "Oh, I'm Connie, you know, of course I'm down in the business end watching the whole thing happen and, and the little thing." And I said, "Connie, oh my gosh, she's so cute. She's like a little bitty doll. You know, I was thinking about well, those little dolls that you turn and their eyes open. No, that was just the top. By the time that head, that, that, that bowling ball head came out, man, I was uh, I'm sitting there and I'm." (Laughter) I was like, what's wrong? Nothing. uh, It's good. She's beautiful. Oh, she's beautiful. Beautiful. Beautiful.
1: Um,
0: And then when we decided, you know, she got into her 40s, 41, 42, uh, 43, we thought, okay, well, you know, where's the point at which, you know... you know there are people that get pregnant at fifty and all that kind of stuff, but that's not kind of where, where we wanted to be yeah, we had yeah
1: we had a nine year old a nine year old youngest was nine, and we talked we had talked a few years before that this is kind of you know we were shutting down the factory type thing we yeah, weren't sure just, you know we went back and forth for a year or two, but then when we had the kind of real talk and really thought through it like
0: like we're going to do this here
1: yeah. and we thought, well, what if we would want one more kid? And at that point, we realized when our son, who was nine at that time, when he got out of the house at 18, we would have a nine-year-old at that time. Yeah. And we decided that yeah, was the that, last that, conversation. Yeah,
0: that was not it. But I, <laughs> I wish I could have met her early. Yeah. Because if I had met you
1: at 22, if yeah. you'd have
0: let, if you'd have agreed, man, we'd have had three, four, five, ten. Twenty-two kids, whatever it is, we would have I had. I was
1: with you on the three, four, five, and you jumped at ten.
0: It was like, <laughs> anyway, but, but it's a regret that I have. Not that I don't know if I could even control it. Not that I live in shame over it. But man, the beauty of that gift and the sacrifice, but the team, the 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 generational legacy, and and to protect that childhood. My mom, when she was in hospice. Uh, they gave us a call. We were on our way to church, and they said, it looks like this is going to be the day. And we were all dressed for church. And uh, so we got up, and, and I said to my kids, 11 and 14, I said, do you guys want to go? Because, you know, they might not want to see those last moments and that labored breathing and all this kind of stuff. And they were like, absolutely. If this is going to be our last time to see her, 100% we're going. And I thought, oh, boy, here we go. So we walked in, and, of course, I went in to make sure. You know, I didn't know what was going to be inside there. I've been to see her every day, but you don't know, you know. And I thought it wouldn't add trauma to them. And it was so beautiful to hear uh, the last words that that, that my kid spoke to her, Um, because it let me know the unique relationship my mom had with him. Not just a general grandmother, but a unique relationship. And my son, you know, he was uh, so She had given him uh, the first dog and his first camera. And um, and, and he was talking about all that. And my daughter went into this thing. She grabbed my mom's hand and she said, you know, um, every time we would eat fruit, uh, my mom would always say, um, I bet this is what it must have tasted like in the Garden of Eden. And she would say to my daughter, man, I can't wait to get to heaven and taste what the fruit – she says, oh, this is probably as close to heaven. And my daughter said, you know. You, you know, you finally get to have that fruit. I'm really OK. Yeah.
1: And I'm not helping you at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, you're supposed to be the strong one here. I know. I am trying. Mm, but the point beautiful.
0: remains that it was for the children that my mom gave of herself, even through her diagnosis, even through all the stuff that the medicine was doing to her body and all this other kind of stuff. It was, it, you, you, you do what you can do to protect and preserve children. My mother was abused from 5 to 13 sexually and raped when she was 23 and all sorts of violence. And you realize when all that trauma, and you you call yourself, I'm a a whole adult, but so much of the whole adult we are is compensating for that brokenness as a child. Mm -hmm. She started a ministry just dealing with people who had been sexually abused as children and people in their 60s and 70s who had never told anyone, told my mother for the first time what happened to the little child inside them. And you'd be surprised how much you end up protecting that child and compensating for that child and how haunted that child is by footsteps in a hallway or a turn of a doorknob or a smell of cologne because that little child was never protected. And she passed on to me, Mike. my God, whatever you do, protect and preserve the beauty of children and childhood. I had not planned to go this way, but when Pastor started out what he's saying, I mean, this is it. This is the foundation of the church it's you and I being whole in Christ, you and I hooking up with other whole people in Christ, building families to maybe give our children and grandchildren what we never had. You know, it's, we keep repeating the same mistakes in the same error and the same dysfunction. It's no wonder we've not taken more territory as the body of Christ when we're having to start over generation by generation. But here in Ambassadors, you have a shot to maybe not have your children and grandchildren repeat the mistakes you made, but maybe standing on your shoulders, they can go higher and farther than we've ever told. got yeah, We are no, way off no, at No, this no
1: I think we're in the flow of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about how the theme is building and constructing families. And one of the things that we realize is that people who did not have a role model, maybe grew up in a broken home with not the mom and dad together or an abusive situation or just parents who were dealt the cards they were dealt with doing the best they can do. You know, one of the things is we deal with what our parents dropped on us. And a lot of times we can grow up being angry at them. Why did you do this? Why, Why could you not, you know, give me more or be there for me like I needed you to be there. And there's, there's definitely, quote-unquote, bad parents mm-hmm. when we get into talking about abuse or neglect and things like that. But a lot of times, mm-hmm. we're dealing with parents who were just dealt a bad hand of cards. Unskilled. Unskilled parenting. No role model. No tools. And I know you have great examples mm-hmm. on when people have tools, but nobody showed them how to use those tools. So I think about, you know, I see saws and hammers and things here. And if you have those tools, you come in week in and week out getting the tools, but if you don't have the role model, which you have in your pastors to show you how to use those tools. And so I know when you grow up, you use the example of growing up with a single mom, and never knowing how to use a hammer.
0: Yeah, never knowing
1: it, a screwdriver. You know? Yeah,
0: well, my single mom, so my, my dad <laughs> didn't did, have a screwdriver. Yeah. My birth father drank himself up. My mom um, was, was gone when I was about 14 or 15 months. And we had, she had a couple hundred bucks in a couch. And um, so we left and moved to Florida from Indiana. And um, it's a long story, but she ended up starting a business and making gazillions of dollars and, and all this other kind of stuff and really built a life. And, Met my adoptive father many years later. So I spent about eight years just with her. And we didn't have a, a, a screwdriver. screwdriver, we had a, a butter knife. You know, it's like, we gotta screw this in, go get the butter knife. You know, want, we hung pictures just like everybody else, but hers was done with a shoe. She's like, go get a shoe out of my closet. And we, hung, we tapped the nail in. So this is, and then I got adopted. Uh, my, she remarried, and this guy adopted me as my dad. He had all sorts of tools. And he's like, we're gonna build a fort, but I never held a hammer. Go get that hammer and nail it in. And I'm grabbing the, claw, the head of the hammer pushing it like this, and he goes, no, no, go down here, get the way, but you can put a tool in somebody's hand with no, no model to use it, you know. That's why the information of the word is, is one thing, but the impartation from leadership that you can imitate is, an, is another thing entirely. So that's why pastors are so important. That's why it's not, it's just certain things you can't get off the internet. There's certain things you can't get out of an article. You have to have something to duplicate, something to model, something, something whose very presence and conduct is a constant rebuke to your thinking. That they do it one way and it rebukes and they didn't even say anything, but the, but the way they carry themselves, the way they love, the way they respond, it, 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 it corrected you without even being an overt correction because it showed you a higher way.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. And let me just finish up with this, for this point, that we grow up angry at our parents, but I think when you get to a point and can see, wait, they were doing the best with the cards they were dealt, you know? Um, and I love this example you've used before, some people are born into this world with the Crayola 64 or 128 crayon pack with all the, you know, eight shades of orange and, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, all of that. Burnt, Pencil sharpeners, yeah. yeah. Burnt, burnt
0: amber and, and you know, uh, rose petal red and other kind <laughs> of the, Yeah, two sharpeners, yeah. all that and
1: stuff. Some have the simple, basic eight pack with the, you know, rainbow colors and the brown and the black. But some of us came with the two little pack of crayons that you get at Cracker Barrel or at the restaurant, and they have two of the same color, two yellow crayons, one broken, one half chewed up. Yeah, the label (laughs) chewed off. It's like, well,
0: here you go. And I'm supposed to paint something beautiful with this. And that's the thing. Our natural father and mother gave us what they had. And really, the world dropped on us was what was dropped on them many Mm -hmm. times. And it's really the world that Adam dropped
1: on Mm -hmm. us. Yeah, you go back far enough, you're going to end up in a garden. And
0: everybody has been living in a combination of of sinful and broken since that time. But our Heavenly Father and the Word of God and the Holy Spirit within now all of a sudden give us a different choice palette that we don't have to perpetuate dysfunction. And remember this, just because you survived it doesn't mean it was the best way. You know, my my dad beat me with an extension cord and I turned out okay. Well we can spend some time later talking about turned out okay. We can evaluate exactly <laughs> what that, that means. Yeah, uh, you know, because your wife ain't talking to you and your uh, the son ain't talking to you and uh, the pastor's getting ready to throw you out, but you turned out okay. Um, but you say, well, I, you know, I, you know, my dad punched me when I was little and I turned out okay. The fact that you survived that dysfunction doesn't mean you should pass it on.
1: Yeah, and we compensate for our dysfunction versus seeking out wholeness. Yeah,
0: and, and, and raising your children, uh, this is such a key thing, and realizing you're you're stewarding them, that you're not trying to control and manage, you're stewarding them. If I'm at your house and I don't hear your, you have a five-year-old and I'm there for two hours having a meeting and I leave and on my way out realized there was a child at five years old in the house and I didn't hear him, if I don't hear a, child, a five-year-old for two, three hours, something's not right. I pride myself on I, My children are obedient as my dog. That, that's, You are raising dysfunction. You're raising a child who won't know how to look his or her manager in the eye shake hands and make eye contact and negotiate a sale. You're sabotaging them. You're, you're, you're sentencing them to standing behind the cash register and don't even know how to say, hi, may I take your order? They just look at you.
1: This is so good.
0: You want a McDonald's, is it? They don't say your told is $14. They just look at you. Oh, is it my turn to pay? Okay, I pay now, right? Okay, this is it. And then the... Where did this come from? You drain their... So instead of teaching them how to interact with human beings you teach them their thoughts their opinions their ideas do not matter the world is set for you 15 and you still give a juice at night this much to your 15 year old this much to your nine-year-old and this much to your six-year-old never realizing you're not raising children you're raising adults that's a future husband a future a father, a future uh, you know employer, employee, you, you, and you're creating that, and we do it with this ignorance. So we discover on the back end, oh my God, what have I done here? And then we try to fix it with our grandchildren, but a lot of times we've shut down the relationship with our adult children, and, 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 and now, now we're just now, now we're just stuck. And so I'm not trying to produce shame, but I'm trying to say, let our hindsight become your foresight and start thinking through the stewardship of this. These children come to earth with gifts and callings that it's your responsibility to model the light and turn their little plant towards the light. If they're going to yes. do movies, turn it towards the light. If they're going to be in dance, turn it towards the light. If they're going to be business, turn it towards the light. If they're going to be in politics, turn it towards the light. That's your job. You, you didn't call them. You didn't equip them. You didn't anoint them. You serve and steward the calling on their lives so that their lives can glorify God. God as they come into that the fullness of that calling. I mean this is yes. this is what this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is the foundation of all that's happening. And the children's ministry workers play a part and the aunts and uncles play a part and the grandparents play a part and the strong men in the church play a part. And you get that 12-year-old out there directing that parking lot and you and, and out getting around men and seeing how to fellowship and instead of just being under the authority of a dad and watching, but now they're out there feeling part of the tribe. I mean the Jewish people figured this out a long time ago. Right around 12 or 13, you're under the word just like we're under the word and we're yes. grooming you in the minion and the, the council. I mean and and Instead of creating generational perpetuating generational dysfunction, we have a chance to perpetuate generational prosperity yes. and you are not hear this and look at who, who all has failed you listen god 's got to be God in your life and yes. figuring out your parents were flawed doesn 't make you brilliant it 's seeing your own flaws that makes you brilliant that 's yes. when you're really now when you see how short how short you fall in your fallibility now you 're ready to take dominion, but griping about how much your mom and dad didn 't know and how much they failed you and they were never here for you and you know, and I always wanted to play the guitar, but they sent me to law school instead. And I could have been—I could have been a musician, but now I'm just this hundred-thousand-dollar-a-year lawyer. And they never lead to my dreams. <laughs> Stop it! Nobody cares about your first-world problems. Nobody cares about. There are people out there with real problems. We had people in our church who could not eat dinner until they had performed sexual favors for their grandfather. And instead of instead of instead of instead of going to uh, 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 go to dinner, the little girl would go out and eat sand on a beach. Why? Because I don't want to, don't want to perform sexual favors for grandpa, so at five years old, seven years old, I'll eat sand on a beach to fill up my belly, but after three days of throwing up and diarrhea, I, if I want to f- come inside and get something to eat, I better go see grandpa. Mm. There are people with real problems, and you're upset because dad didn't come to your, 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 your quarterfinal game in the baseball game? Are you really serious? Is your world that small? Come on, yes. right. come on. Good. 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 Are you that self-absorbed? Has your whole life been reduced down to likes and clicks on a fake Photoshop? snapchatted picture you don't even look like yourself anymore your nose is contoured your cheeks are contoured your eyes are contoured I can't even I don't even know who this is anymore you got horns coming out of one side of your face <laughs> ears coming out of the other and, and, and it's so so it, you know why you're so empty because you keep focusing on you I promise you the day you switch your life to others you won't even have time to notice nobody's paying you the attention that you so desperately crave. well I'm not married I don't know what to do get busy serving the will of God and the house of God and the people of God and the families of God be so busy about what God has for you to do. One day you'll wake up and you'll be jogging next to somebody who's as passionate about the things of God as you do, and then y'all can hook up. I was put fully after God. Didn't want to get married. Wasn't seeking to get married. Didn't think about how miserable my life is. How awful my life is. I had a job. I had a house. I had I had a twin bed and I had a three or four thousand square foot house. A twin bed. A table next to it that my mom let me borrow. I had about $50,000 in clothes in the closet, $200,000 in cars in the garage, no other furniture, Taco Bell cups, hot pockets. That's all I had. And I was happy as a pig in slop. My life was totally fulfilled because I ate, slept, drank, and breathed serving my heavenly father. So I'm running after God all I can. Then this person comes next to me who, her, she got her a house and she's got a job and she's got a business and her and she's in children's ministry every week. And, and uh, uh, if she if serves in ministry, she had to serve at the 11 o'clock service. She came to the seven and got the word and then served at 11. If she had to get to serve in the seven o'clock service, she went to the seven o'clock service and stayed around to get the word 11. And when it was soul winning day, she was at soul winning day. When it was pick up the park day, she was at pick up the park day. And when it was a women's conference, she was a women's conference. And so I'm running after God and she's running after God. And all of a sudden I look and she's next to me and she's running after God. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And then I was like, oh, she seems kind of nice. Then I kind of slowed down. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. And we ran on a little bit longer there. And uh, it's true. It is. It's true. I'm not going to lie in church. Um, but I never sat around thinking, what about me and what about my life? Jesus said, I come to do your will, O God. I come to do your will. I inhale and exhale to do the will of my Father and in that. And well, what if I do all that and I never get married? You're asking the wrong question. If you live your life for the glory of God, for the advancement of heaven's cause, that is a full life. That is a, that is a blessed life. And I'm not saying it doesn't get lonely, but I'm saying stay away from things that agitate your loneliness.
1: Yes. You may be, you know, early 20s, knowing that you want to get married someday. Maybe mid-twenties, late-twenties, am I ever going to get married? Do what he's saying. You may be in your forties or fifties, divorced, never married. Yeah. Do what he's saying. You may be 40, 50, 60, widowed. Yeah. Whichever state and season you are in life, Absolutely. seek after God and his will for your life. Thrive. Believe for wholeness. Yeah, you gave a word to our church years ago about flourish in the season that you're in. Yeah. Make it full and rich, not looking at what you don't have, but focusing on what you do have. And then if God brings somebody along, then do the God, the will of God for your life together, Amen. but not regretting, not uh, belittling or uh, being angry with God. You know, Be fruitful in the season that you're in. And whatever God has for you, know that God is still with you. If you went through divorce, if your spouse passed, God is with you. Yeah. It's, yeah. He says he will never, ever, never, ever, ever, one trans- says, leave you. Yeah. And we've got to recognize and know that we can experience the fullness of God, single, married, divorced, widowed, but we can experience his, Zoe, his fullness in whatever that season is that we're in.
0: Yeah, and, and um, I like what you said about ministry. You know, my grandfather died of a stroke, and my grandmother was 59, I think. No money. They had used up all the money that they ever saved, all his retirement, everything, on his health issues for years. She said, I was 59 with no job. I'd never worked. And this is a long time ago. He was 26. I think she was 15 when they got hitched. So it was a little different, a little different action back then, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and she, he had three kids from his previous marriage. So my grandmother was 16 with a 10-year-old son, um, a 10-year-old son, an 8-year-old son, and a 7-year-old daughter, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and uh, they were married 45 something years. I don't know. And and as soon as she was gone, as soon as he was gone, she, you know, he had let her go to church, and you know if that's what she wanted to do. But he was never into it. He had let her, quote unquote, let her tithe if she wanted to. And and they were happily married, and they loved each other, and and you know uh, even through that dysfunction. And he ended up getting saved before he died. But as soon as it was over, she said, God, where am I at? What am I going to do? How am I going to live? And she said, but you know, Mike, I've been tithing and honoring God since I was 16. And all of a sudden, I had no income, no this, no that, no place to live. And I remembered all that seed I had in the ground. And, you know, I have never missed a beat. And some, some multi gozillionaire from another part of the country uh, found her, offered her a job to run his mobile home park, gave her a home, and said, you just stay here and go around once a month and collect all the stuff and send it to me. And she lived there for 30-something years almost uh, uh, there and was taken care of and was uh, generous and sowing in her church and, and supporting and the missions. And she became a little preacher and would preach to anybody. And she told me one time, she said, Mike, I, I said, what do you do now, Grandma? She said, I take care of old people. I said, Grandma, no offense, but you are old. She said, no. She said, no, these people are old as, as dirt. She said, they've been around a long time. She said, I'm talking about people that have been around since God was a boy. I said, okay, that is old. <laughs> Uh, I said, that, that is old, you know, so, um, and she would, and she would go in, and, and with the amputees, she would clean their wounds and minister to them, and uh, had one lady whose son was strung out on drugs and uh, was, was in the, uh, in the uh, uh, hospice or whatever, and she said, I want to find my son, and my, my grandmother went down to the hood and, and, and walked around until she found this son in this crack house, drug him up to go see his mother, got him rededicated, brought him back, she says, you need to stay here, and I'll bring you here every day until she passes, whatever. I mean, this was her whole life, and she did that. All the way up until she died, she told my mom uh, that she died a few years ago. She said, I know I can't go anywhere yet because there's one lady in this nursing home that doesn't know the Lord yet, and and I'm just believing God for the open door. And my grandmother talked to her at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and was gone that next morning. She talked to that woman about the Lord at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, knew she had finished her assignment, and was gone. Uh, at at six, by six o'clock the next day, because she came to do the will of God. And you've got to decide you did not see what was coming down the pipe, but God did. God sees around the corner. He prepares goodness ahead of time. And if you release your faith and believe to see God's goodness in the land of the living, there's time, there's a place for you to flourish and, and and to thrive. And Connie had friends that were friends of hers in her single days. She served in children's ministry with. And Connie went off and got married. And we've traveled the world and preached and served and built churches and all that. And we go back. And her friends, some of them are still where they were. Some say, Oh, what happened to them? They're still faithful, taking care of babies. They've raised generations of children within our church that we go to. And I'm telling you, don't think Dr. Uh, 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 Martin, uh, 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 Pastor Linnell is going to go before God and get before God and say, well, the preachers are here. Let's make, let's make the big thing. That little gray-haired grandmama that's been taking care of those babies, those those young uh, teen, 20-year-old girls that come back or guys that come back from college and take care and work in the youth, they have just as much reward, just yes. as much harvest, just as much honor in the kingdom of God as the people with their names on the signs. We've got to divorce ourselves from what man cherishes and man uh, uh, values. The Bible says that what is, highly esteemed among men is not valued by God. All this fame and, and acceptance and likability and praise and, and all this other kind of stuff, God doesn't value any of that. God values the, the giving sacrificial nature of doing something for his kingdom and his will, something bigger than ourselves. Amen. Yes. All right. Amen.
1: I right. I'm going to add one last uh, piece are, before. No, 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 never no, no, getting no. no, getting no, no I'm going to let you get to where you're here. trying to get to. I haven't but, even gotten to
0: one scripture. Know, never me, have me let
1: me say this. We do <sighs> a disservice. I want to go back to raising kids and everything. We do a disservice to our children when we don't allow them to make decisions. You know, age appropriate from, you know, at three years old, there's certain decisions they can make different than when they're seven, different than when they're 10. And we need to equip our children because we send them out at 18, 19 years old not knowing how to have a conversation, not knowing how to make a decision. And when we tell our children your your thoughts and your ideas don't matter, yeah. you're gonna do what I say you're gonna do, or they ask for something and you don't give them reasoning, maybe you say yes, maybe you say no, but if you don't give them reasoning as to why you're telling them they can't go do this, you just shut them down and say because I said so, you're not they're not gonna be able to develop these skills and the higher functioning. Of decision-making that they need to get out into the world so so we send them out ill-equipped yeah your child should know how to have a conversation with an adult mm-hmm. your child should know how to order food for themselves I'm In not talking about your two-year-old but even still you can allow them at you know as they're growing four five seven to start doing such things but your 14 year old should be able to speak to the server <coughs> With manners. Order a pizza. Order, yeah, order. call up and order a pizza. Know how to make a phone call and ask, you know. I think my daughter was looking for some books for school a few weeks ago, and I said, call the bookstore, ask them, you know. But they should be able to do these things. But when they get out, don't know how to handle money, don't know how to make a decision, don't know how to speak to an adult and look them in the hand, eye and shake their hand. My son, bless his heart, he, we left on Friday and he went with his friend to the bowling alley. I gave him money. Uh, you know, I could figure it out, okay, what is he going to need and then to have snack and everything. I gave him some money, and, you know, he wanted to be real responsible. He's 11, and, you know, he's a boy, and he's working on being responsible and mature. And I said, buddy, I know, you know, you got this, and sent him on his way. And I talked to him that evening when we landed here, and he said, well, Mom, I kind of, what did he, how did he put it? I didn't do a good thing or something. And I thought, well, you know, he went bowling, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, he didn't do, you know, well bowling or just, you know, whatever. And I said, what happened, buddy? And he said, well, we went to the arcade, and some of the kids didn't have money for the arcade, so I let them use all my money. And I said, okay, no problem. You know, I'd rather have him have a big, generous heart, but the issue was he didn't have money to pay for the bowling. LAUGHTER so, the, thankfully the parent that he was with covered it and everything, but, you know, you, it's funny, but I see now, I have to, the next time he goes, help him, you know, okay, you got this for this, this for that, and, you know, and, but if you never let your kids handle money, yeah. they're going to get out, if you never let them know, you know, my daughter, she's in ninth grade, and she's got a project she's working now for the, this semester, the cost of living how to handle rent and, you know, find a place to live and how much it's going to cost and how much you make and your bills and it. But we have to train. And unfortunately, the school systems don't teach these things. So if the kids aren't learning it at home, but we do such a disservice to our children when we don't give them the ability to think for themselves, the ability to express ideas. Give your children an opportunity to talk. I'm telling you, if you give your children an opportunity to talk, you are going to learn a whole bunch about what's going on in that head of theirs. Yeah, and it's they, if they feel
0: safe, they got stuff to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter, we're dealing with uh, the boy-girl stuff now. Um, and my daughter goes to the mall, and everybody's saying, what's your Snapchat, and what's this? And I mean, at church, you'll walk down the aisle of the church, and five guys will say, hey, what's your, whatever they call it, Snap. I don't even know yeah, if Snap is know. cool anymore since the Kardashian <laughs> 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 slammed it or whatever. Instagram. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, and, I, and, I, and you have to empower your children with answers.
1: You yeah, have to empower is- them
0: with what to say. Mm-hmm. Here, well, here, you know, Here's one way you can respond. Here's one way you can say, somebody's saying this to me, dad. Somebody's saying that to me. What do you think? And my daughter was handling a lot of stuff on her own and getting herself deeper and deeper in a hole. I said, well, I know you're 14 and have the whole world figured out, but your mom and I know a little bit. Why don't you read the text to us before you send it? Maybe we can say, ah, I wouldn't say that. I'd change that. I'd change this. So anyway, there's this guy who did this really slick trick on her the other day and said, uh, my daughter's name was Livy. he said, I- is this your phone number? He said, I have an Olivia in my phone, but I don't know if it's the right Olivia. Is that your phone number? And he was like, no, that's not my phone number. He goes, well, can you go ahead and put the phone number in? And I, we have told her. I said, look, I don't mind you having guys' phone numbers and things like that or them having your phone number. But, um, yeah, that was next level skills. That guy worked there. So, um, um, but anyway, I said, but, but just let us know first. I said, just, just let us know first. She said, so he handed me the phone, and she said, Dad, I freaked. I panicked. I said, what did you do? She said, well, I just pretended I was typing it in and hit done and handed it back. It doesn't have my number in it. I said, well, that's that a pretty good move. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I, said, I said, but do you want do you want him to have your number? She said, yeah, he's a really cool guy. He's friends with my friend MJ and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, go ahead. And, and he said, she said, but I don't know how to handle it now. What am I going to do? I said, OK, well, let's walk through it. I said, uh, OK, start with this. Um, why don't you reach out to your friend and say, hey, can you forward this to so-and-so? And start with this. You ever have one of those embarrassing things that you do and later on you're like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Yeah, well, that happened to me tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I typically have to ask my parents before this because she doesn't want me to do one-on-one guy uh, texts and stuff like that. And so when you hand me your phone, I really want you to have my number, but I knew I had to ask my parents first. And it just became a great opportunity to X out of it. Anyway, mm-hmm. I was not trying to hurt you, but here's my number, blah, blah, blah. So it all worked out in the end. You know. And I told her, I said, Olivia, there's two types of women women who get put in a corner and panic from a position of weakness or who get put in a corner and panic from a position of strength. I said, you could have just as easily come home and said, I panicked because I knew you asked me not to do that. So I didn't know what to do. So I gave him my number. But I said, instead, you said I panicked, but I still honored God and my parents in the middle of my panic. And there are a lot of people that your friends say, hey, I know we're supposed to go here, but we're going to go there and, you, and, you, and you, you, you know you don't want to go, you know you don't want to do it, but you panic, and so you say yes to what you shouldn't say yes to. And I said, you just got to figure out what type of person you are. Are you a person that still possesses yourself and can be yourself even when the thing's are going the other way, or are you a person that panics and yields instead of panics and stands? This is identity. Yes. I always tell them, well, you're capable. You got to figure it out. That sounds reasonable to me. I mean, you're a smart person. And I always try to tell them, think it through now remember that guy you were crushing over and oh my gosh and you thought wow I've never had a kiss he might be my great first kiss I said how's that going he said dad he's dated five other girls in the youth ministry since then I said are you glad that wasn't your first kiss she said you have no idea I said well let me tell you the thing about first kisses someday you're gonna be laying on a pillow next to a guy one day that your husband or ever, or maybe long before that and they're gonna say well tell me about your first kiss and now you're gonna have to have all sorts of information I said are you so glad that's not on your resume she said you have no idea because if I had to explain what a clown this guy was to somebody else he may wonder why I would ever want to be with a clown like that I said see let's Let my hindsight become your foresight. Uh, think all this kind of stuff through, nothing wrong with the first kiss, nothing wrong with all that kind of stuff. These are all parts of growing up, but my God, look around the corner and think how it's going to play out in a few years, and then step back. She said, Dad, I would have just been the 14th girl that this guy Mm -hmm. dated in the youth ministry, and I'm so glad I wasn't number 14, because I said, you and your 10 girlfriends would be sitting around, in your 20s going, well, you went out with Freddie, didn't you? And you went out with Freddie, didn't you? And you'd be the only person there going, nope, never went out with (laughs) Freddie, never went out with Freddie. So these are the type of things you have to empower your children. I used to mess with my kids all the time. We'd be walking down the street, and there'd be a garage, open, and they'd have all this candy or soda, and I would say to my son, hey, man, walk up there and grab that soda. I'm not going to do that. Go on and do it, man. Go get a soda for me. I'm thirsty. Man, you're not cool. Go get this Dad, you stop, stop playing. And I would do it all the time. We were in Publix. I don't know if they had Publix here or whatever. The sandwiches. Uh, grocery, store. grocery store. We yeah. got a sandwich on the way out, and I said, man, put it in your pocket. Let's go. Just put it in your pocket. He said, Dad, we've got to pay for it. I said, Put it in your pocket, man. I'm not going to put you in jail. You're eight. Let's go. And, and I walk out. He said, Dad, I'm not going to do that. And he said, Why would you do that? Because I want to empower my children when they get in a complex situation to know how to respond instinctively to just freeze. I'm not walking out the door. I said, Well, you're going to be left here. You better put this sandwich in your pocket. Dad, I'm not doing that. And you try to role play with them. Why? Because instead of letting life happen to them, you empower them with a the word and with confidence on the inside so that they know how to negotiate this very complex situation. I've got to say we, this, yeah, this. I've got to
1: say this. And then I'm going to be quiet.
0: You realize we are never being invited back.
1: (laughs) This building on an identity and security in your children is huge. I did not have that. So when Mike was telling her the other day about the, um, there's two kinds of people who panic and, you know, I was so proud of her and I'm so grateful. I just give praise to God for this gift that he's given me in these two children, because I think about what I would have done, the situations I was put in. I would have panicked And went the wrong way. But I feel like I didn't have anybody to go to, not a a support or an open door to go, hey, listen, you know, this thing happened to me or I'm in this situation, what do I do? But when you give that opportunity for your children to come and share and talk and, you know, churn the wisdom of God or what do I do in this situation, it's huge. Because if they get in a situation and feel like they don't have someone to talk to or support, they, they bottle it up and just get deeper and deeper and deeper in the hole. And I see how much of my yeah. background, my past, was because I didn't have anybody to say, listen, this is what happened, or I need help in this situation. And when you don't, it's important, and you say, you know, I was going to say, it's important that you start at a young age but you say, well, my, my kids are 15, 16, I've never done. Well, then start now and believe God. But if you have young children, start. When our daughter, she was two or three or whatever, and we had asked her some sort of question about a show or something. Do you remember this? We were, it seems like we were at your parents' house. And she freaked out and shut down. And I yeah. noticed when she was five and six, we would try to open yeah, the yeah, door yeah. of communication with her, and she would just freak out and shut down. But when she got to about eight and nine, we really pressed in because we knew these years were coming. And if we don't get this door open now, she's going to be 14, 15, 17 and not have this open communication. And I'm so glad that we we pushed against it and did not allow her to keep to herself. Because in these situations now that she's in, we have this and we give God praise that She comes to us for advice. She comes and says, this happened. And it's so good. When we get in the car and she's able to pour out or share this thing or, you know, I give God praise. Because it's only through the wisdom of God that we even knew that this is so important.
0: Yeah. And all children have different personalities, different strengths and weaknesses, the way their gift cluster is stacked. One of the things that was happening with Olivia, I think she was so smart, she felt (laughs) pressure that if she didn't know anything, it was a sign of weakness. That's true. So, so I can't come and say I don't know because the way I see myself is somebody that's supposed to know. So we had this talk with her about sex, and I was, you know, uh, they were having a thing in the youth ministry, and they're going to talk about masturbation and transgender and lesbian, and, da, 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 and they bring this card on and say, so parents, here's what we're talking about Sunday. And I'm like, okay, I need to prepare my child. <laughs> and so I went, I said, do you know what these things are? And we went, and I said, so, okay, so what that is is sometimes when a person touches themselves, it feels pleasurable, and you get all these things. And that's what, okay, so when a, two, a guy and a girl do this, and the girl and the guy, but then sometimes a girl and a girl, and I said, what this is, and da da, da I said, now what's basically happened is your body and this, and that. so it's going to start working overtime as you go through puberty, and when the factory works overtime, your skin might freak out, or this kind of thing, and so, you know, you'll grow, and you're, it might take a while for your head to catch up with your smile or your jar, you know, and sometimes you go through this awkward thing, and you your hair will cooperate and this and that, and then your body, it's like, Hey, God made us to reproduce. And every month, it's like, Hey, we having a baby? Nope, all right, out, all right, we're gonna have another baby? No, all right, and it's just gonna happen. And it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, everything that's happening. So I went through this whole thing, and, and I, you know, of course, I'm sweating and Connie's sweating, and, and Olivia just looks at us and goes, Okay. And uh, so we got up and we hugged and went on about it. <laughs> she came back around the corner, and she goes, You know what? You all did really well at that. I was nervous because I knew this was coming eventually. You guys did much better than I thought you would, so good job. And I was like, Wait a minute, what? 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 I was like, you, you're telling me how good we did. You know, the kind of, but, but as smart as she is, she didn't know anything. She was talking to Connie. They went out on, a, on a girl's trip on the road, and she's like, da da, da, da da And I know you can't get pregnant the first time you have sex, so I feel like that's okay. And Connie's like, what? <laughs> my daughter, since she's been in seventh grade, has scored grade 13 scores, eighth grade, in all subjects. She's, she's first, second year of college. The smartest dumb kid you've ever met. She actually said (laughs) out of her mouth, well, I know you can't get pregnant the first time you have sex. And I mean, Connie almost wrecked our truck. (laughs) So don't just take it for granted because they're capable. I don't care, capable is, is, a 17-year-old capable is still 17. Mm -hmm. But you know what I figured out with my mom? My mom had a relationship with my daughter and my son and a relationship with us. And I don't think the kids ever knew that behind the scenes that my mom would tell us everything. And she said, don't ever let your children know Because I don't, and she said, "When you, I'm giving you this information, but don't you go to them because they'll know." But that's what we should do. We should cooperate, and we both care about the joint outcome of our child. And when my mom would tell us stuff, well, Olivia was upset about this and this and this. I didn't kick the door open. So you got a problem with the way I didn't? No, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I don't want to undermine the safe place for my children to feel like they have
1: to talk and to vent and to put all this kind of stuff out. This is, this is, this is so far off. The the difference though is with our son when we talk to him. This boy has questions about, and oh my he, gosh. he does not, he is not ashamed to ask any questions, and what is this, and I heard this, which was so different than our daughter. So you have to know your kids, yeah. and, you know, you know this. If you have kids, two kids growing up in the same house, under the same teach, all that can turn out completely different.
0: Yeah, I told, I told him, he says, I was explaining how the whole thing worked, and I said, so basically, you and I have seeds, right? And, and uh, women, they have... Uh, they have, like, soil. And so what happens is our seed goes into their soil, and I'm breaking it down for him. He's like seven. I'm trying to break it down. He's like eight. So, so I said, you know, he's like, so I said, so what they have is sex, and, and uh, so out of your penis then will come these little seeds, and they'll find the fertile soil. And so, you know, you have to realize that now I, I said God's plan is for you to honor it and only have sex inside marriage. But, Mike, you're going to be an adult. You're going to have to choose to honor God or not. I can't control that. I can show you the way. I said, but you have to be mindful that when you do that, if that, if that seed conceives now, you are a parent of this child. So he's, you know, he's processing it through, and he goes, whoa! Are you telling me that every time my wife and I have sex, we're going to have another child? I said, well, I'm telling you, every time you have sex, there's a the potential for another child. But then there'll be things that you can do to kind of prevent that. And I thought, okay, am I, how am I going in the condom now? Is that where I'm going? Condom? Okay, so, so I want you to think of it this way. Like, like, what if there was a barrier? Like, let's pretend I had like a squirt gun. And then I put a baggie over the front of the squirt gun. And, and, and he's just kind of looking at me. And, I mean, it, and and the problem is with him, every time you give him more information, he's going to think on it and come back with another question. question. And I finally just had to cut my losses. And, the, the number one, and let me give you advice for dads. Dads, if you get in that trouble where they ask asking you questions, just say, you know, that's not something dads know. But mommies know. I, really, I would really ask mommy that as soon as you as soon as soon you see her. We, we okay. have got to go. Let's, I'm gonna let's close. Here. I'm going to give you the scripture at the end. Um, it's <sighs> Dr. Martin's fault. I, I was going on notes. He started sharing on babies. My heart exploded. And now you have this that we have here. So don't, don't blame me. Blame the host. Um, <laughs> My heart got so full listening to him talk, I just, I was tearing up right there. So, um, Jesus, verse 6, saith unto them, I am the way, John 14, I am the way, and if you hadn't found John 14, I gave you an hour to find it, so look, (laughs) I I can't stall anymore, look on with someone else, (laughs) Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man can come unto the Father but by me, verse 7, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, from this moment forward, you know the Father. And you have seen the Father. And Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father. And it sufficeth us. Here it is. Jesus said, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how how, how can you say to me then, show us the Father? Now, what I was going to talk to you about this morning is this idea. (laughs) That there's no place you can look from Genesis to the book of Acts to truly understand life as a Christian. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John cannot teach you how to live as a Christian. They can teach you how Jesus taught about the kingdom of God while he was a Torah-observant Jew. They can teach you his limited ministry only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They can teach you his mission to his nation and to his people. But without the decoder glasses brought by Paul, to see the truth, you can't go back to Genesis and understand. So I'll go back to the garden, and that'll show me. Yeah, but the problem with the garden is we have a sacrifice and a righteousness higher than what Adam had. We have a covenant deeper and stronger than what Adam had. Adam was spiritually alive and lived in a glorified body. You and I are spiritually alive, live in a fallen body. But Adam, when he sinned, was disqualified from God's presence. But you and I, when we sin, there's a blood that Adam never had to maintain that fellowship with God. You can't see it through Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Isaiah. You can't see it. And really, the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts, it's very hard to figure out because they thought you still had to be Jewish and circumcised in order to be a Christian and keep the law until Paul comes along and says, no, it's not the law. It's a new creation. And the problem is, if you go with an old covenant idea of who God is, you can think you know the Father and not know him at all. But Jesus, I mean, think about this. Philip was with him three and a half years and, and, and he said, man, if you just show us who God is, we'd be all right. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I think a lot of times we marry and parent and, 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 and act inside families with an old covenant revelation of God instead of the new covenant revelation of God, who Jesus showed us he was, always kind to children, always kind to women. They said... Jesus, look at the number of times he said, leave them alone, leave her alone, leave the weak alone, bring them to me. She's not bothering me. She can touch me. There's nothing wrong with her. You think you're better than her? I mean, this is Jesus now showing us who the Father is. No, I see in the Old Covenant, you see in the Old Covenant, God dealing with the fallen world after their sins. But that's not where we are now. Jesus has come and put the sacrifice into the earth to take away the sins of the whole world. The way God deals with people now is different. And you don't want to come out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John imitating God as revealed in Exodus. You want to come out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John living and imitating has Jesus revealed God's love to us through the new covenant. So that when the Bible says that, that we are to love our children, we think, yes, to sit on the throne and to demand. Because we look in the wrong place for who God is. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be like Jesus inside my marriage. And we think, yes, that's right, I'm going to sit on my throne and, and the church is going to worship me. That's the wrong idea. It says he, you want to be like Jesus to your wife, laying down your life for her. And so a wrong understanding of who God is creates a wrong reflection of who we are. And now we hop into institutions and we start carrying ourselves in an unproductive way. And the truth is in a house, you are the chief servant as a husband. You are the chief servant as a father. And when I sit down and I come down, I come out of my office and I sit down and we're all sitting and Connie's fixing dinner or this or that, and and I see there's no drinks on the table. I'm not Old Testament dad. (laughs) Who will bring a drink to my throne? (laughs) I'm, I'm like Jesus, Dad. I'm the first to hop up and say, Mikey, what can I get you? What do you want? Livy? what do you want? Baby, you want water? I get it. And then, Neb, we got it. No, we got it. No, I got it. Why? Because my job is to model a sense of community. I don't want to raise my children where they're like, man, I can't wait to get older so I can sit on the throne and boss people around. I want them to never graduate from the idea that you're always going to be serving to make our household better, to make our household richer, because, because that's who we are. But if you don't see God right, you won't see you right. You won't see them right. You won't conduct yourself right and this is generationally as well, Mm -hmm. for your parents and your grandparents to honor your parents as they age, to sow and to bless and to serve. I don't know. You know, my mom called me, and I'm closing here right before, about a month or so before she passed. And she said, um, my dad said, you need to come over right now. So, of course, you know, I came over. And she said, Mike, is there anything you need to hear from me? I said, no, ma'am. I said, You've given a little guy all that he could ever want. I mean, you've made me so rich. You've given me memories, a foundation, an example, wisdom. Love my wife. You've loved my children. Mom, is there anything I can give for you? No. She said, I said, Do you know I love you? She said, Mike, yeah. And and the last month of her life, she didn't see me very much. And it's very strange because She's heard every message that I've ever preached. Uh, When I would go travel around, and she would invite me over for dinner, if I came to the door and knocked on the door and didn't have the CD from where I had just been, she would not let me in the door. (laughs) It's true. She would not let me in the door. She would say, she would open the door, and I could smell the food inside. She said, how are you doing? I said, I'm good. Can I come in? She said, do you have something for me?
1: (laughs) When we got married, they were living out of state, and he would preach, and I'd put him in the mail. Yeah, put him in the mail the next day. This is before internet and So before
0: that. internet, so when internet came, I would be preaching no matter where I went in the world, She would be on right now. And before I would even get my seat and step back and sit down, there'd be a text. That was, that was good. I got a lot out of that. This blessed me, this and that. And, and I knew in that last month when I didn't hear from her, and kind of said, do you want to go see your mom? And I said, no. I said, if, if she's not calling me and asking me to come, she's dealing. And she told me in the last month of her life, she said, Mike, I feel there's more of me over in the spirit than is here. And I said, Mom, you don't have to apologize. She said, I know I haven't seen you, I know I haven't talked to you. I said, Mom, you don't owe me anything. I said, you've given me all a person could give. I said, and trust me, I know you love me. I said, I know I'm like your fourth or fifth favorite person on the planet, you know. Uh, and she says, I can't believe it. I'm on my deathbed and you're making me feel guilty. I said, well, it's part of my charm. It's part of my charm. And she said, well, it's interesting you say that because she said, I can't really talk much, but I lay here and I pray. God, let my boy know how much I love him. So I don't know what type of son I was, but my God, I purpose to honor my mother and father. My mom passed December 16th. The next week I was out shopping for Christmas cards and to go 43 years buying a card for mom and a card for dad. And the first time you don't buy a card for mom. And I got, oh, we gotta go. <laughs> I got to go. I got stuck there in, um, in Target just staring. And the Lord said, why don't you take the love you had for your mom and roll it over and double up on dad? And I said, Dad, you're not going to miss a beat. With everything in us, we are not going to sorrow. We are not going to grieve. We are going to honor you to that next level. And now my whole life and love is rolled to him. Mm -hmm. Why? Because not only is it what they need and what they deserve, but it's right, and it has a reward. So when we talk about parenting and children, we're not just talking about little bitties. We're talking about through generations, honoring our mother and father, that it may be well with us and that we may live long